Hello everyone and welcome to our last luminary lecture for the fall 2007 semester. Today we will be hearing from Susan Hanks, the Vice President and President-Elect of the American Indian Library Association. Susan will be speaking to us about her work with California Tribal Libraries. Thanks for joining us, Susan. Hello everyone. <laughs> I've been working at the California State Library since October of 2000, 2007. October of 2000. When I first started at the California State Library, I started at the California Research Bureau as a legislative research librarian. That's the department within the State Library that does reference and research for the governor and the legislature. I'll try and remember to slow down. While I was there, Senator Burton was trying to put forward some sacred sites legislation, and I was able to work with a researcher, Kimberly Johnston Dodds, on the report that came out of that legislation. They had requested a report on early California laws and how they affected California Native Americans. And that kind of started this journey that I'm on right now. And I, actually, would you like to give people copies of the report, please? <laughs> so we worked on that report for about a year. And out of that effort, we were, the researcher and myself was able to get some money and start traveling in California and speaking with California tribes and asking about how the State Library could partner with the tribes to help them with their educational resources and their library resources. The one of the laws that the report discusses is the indentured servitude law. And for those of you that aren't familiar with California Indian history, there were close to 400 tribes in California before the gold rush with a big influx of people. In 1851 and 1852, the federal government sent agents out to California to negotiate treaties with the tribes. If you look at old maps, it's really interesting because if you look at an 1850 or 51 map of California, it's pretty settled. The, the, there are states everywhere and, and they started to have the conflicts between the Indians and the, the people that were coming in. And so they negotiated 18 treaties and they started to move the Indians to those lands. There were people in Congress that didn't want to give the Indians any land, and so they, the, the treaties were never ratified, and the land that was promised to them, they were kicked off of, and basically a lot of the Indians just became landless. And then they tried to round them up and put them on these little farms, and they made this law that if the Indians were caught off this land and they didn't have papers saying that they were employed by somebody non-native, they would put them in jail, and they basically sell them to the highest bidder as an indentured servant. Then what happened, the people were going out and actually killing the parents and taking the children and selling them into indentured servitude. There's a Choctaw storyteller named Tim Tingle, and I've um, had the good fortune to meet him and listen to him, and I consider him, him a friend now. This is one of his books, Crossing Bochito, that talks about a river in Mississippi, and there was a reservation on one side, and um, a plantation on the other and they would help the Indians escape. And, and basically what Tim, Tim Tingle does is he travels all over the country and he does oral histories and he has a book, and I don't think I brought it with me, um, called The Choctaw Road and he talks about a story in The Choctaw Road, it's the Trail of Tears and there's a little boy that's walking and he doesn't have shoes on and he stands in the snow too long in one place and when he starts to walk it rips the skin off of his shoes. And he's walking and he's looking back at the bloody footprints and his dad picks him up and he says, 
don't look behind some, look ahead, always look ahead. Well, we were together in Oklahoma in October for the Tribal Library Conference back there, and I had copies of my reports that I'd taken to give out for a presentation, and I gave him one, and I was telling him this story. And he looked at me after telling me this story about this little boy that, you know, he rips the skin off the bottom of his feet on the Trail of Tears in the Snow, and he looks at me and he goes, I've never heard anything so horrible in all my life. And so for him to give that recognition to California Indians, it was also very interesting in Oklahoma while I was there, the interest in the history of California Native Americans, because everywhere I went and people were asking me, they'd say, oh my God, I had no idea. I, I, I don't have a clue. And people, I mean, there's a lot of people here in the state that really, people just don't know the history. So anyway, back to the report. As we traveled, we took copies of the reports. And the people we met at the tribes got really excited because there are pictures, um, pictures there's uh, copies of original newspaper articles and legislation in the report. And we have a article from one of the early newspapers talking about that they found another guy in the mountains with a bunch of Indian children and we need to do something. And they got really excited about the article and they said, we've heard about this in our oral histories, but we've never seen it. How can we get copies of this? And it, it started a, a three-year journey on collecting resources for California Native Americans. It's called um, the California Indian Historical Resources Project. And we've actually gathered 3,300 early newspaper articles. We have um, early state legislative documents and early federal legislative documents. And we've built three databases. They're going to be self-contained on three CDs. And they will be distributed to all the public libraries and all of the tribal libraries in California. While we were working on that, we had the good fortune to meet Bonnie Biggs. Um, she's now retired. She retired actually three and a half years ago from the university um, of San Marcos, and she's been working with Southern California tribes for about 30 years. Through her efforts, most of the, the Southern California tribes actually have established libraries. And she did have a program. She said nobody has picked it up since she retired, where she was having interns from the San Jose State Library School actually go and do interns on the uh, reservations. They were doing Paula and Palma. There was one, uh, Liana Giuliano, who's the past chair of the California Native Library Roundtable, was one of the interns at Paula. And she actually ended up staying for three additional years to work and help them do projects. So I met Bonnie actually early on in October of 2000. And we started working with Bonnie. And we were able to put together the first tribal library training that was sponsored by the State Library at Paula in 2005. And we brought together we had one Northern California representative from the Weat tribe in Eureka because we, had, we wanted 20 people and we were a short one. So we had 19 tribal librarians from Southern California. We brought them together for a weekend for what we call the library boot camp. And we brought together different library professionals. We had San Diego County there. We had the state librarian there. And we had different sessions on them to help them just organize libraries, how to do ad advocacy. One of the most heard comments for the evaluations from that first training was it was the first time that the tribal librarians actually met together as a group. And I think it was 2006, Bonnie was able to pull together enough people to form the first California Library Association Native Libraries Roundtable. So we do have representation in the California Library Association now. 
There is also the American Indian Library Association. Um, it's a good organization to be a part of. The list, they do have a student price for you students out there. I think it's $15 a year if you're a student. So you may want to check out, it's uh, AILA, the American Indian Library Association website for information. It's a good place to be on a list to find information, connect with people. I've connected with a lot of people through the American Indian Library Association. Our second reference training that we did at Paula was a two-day reference training, and I have copies of bibliographies with me. I will work to make sure that um, they get posted and that you're able to find the bibliography online. I apologize, I haven't had time to do it. And I brought several books from that bibliography with me to share with people. Let me find my glasses. Holly Tomron did the initial bibliography and I've updated it and I added a few things. One of the books I added was This Day in North American Indian History and it's um, based on, hello, how are you? <laughs> it's based on other books that do This Day in History but it's all Native American history. And I'm not sure if people want to look at this, but it's something that if you're running a library and education center, it, it's nice sometimes to have a book to open to to see what the main events were in December or November and, and you can schedule book themes or programs or different things around them. And I don't know if anybody here wants to look at these. Is Okay. There's that one. This one... I like um, American Indians Answers to Today's Questions. There's another one that's on here. And I bookmarked two questions. Um, this can be for tribal, I think it's good for tribal libraries. It's also good for mainstream libraries to help educate mainstream people about Native American issues and also just to have something to go if you want to try and verify facts. I marked two questions. Are any tribes not officially recognized by the federal government? A lot of people that are non-native don't understand the whole federal recognition process and what it means and what it doesn't mean and how tribes lost their federal recognition and how hard it is to get back. And uh, they, it's funny because the book actually opened to this one. Which American Army general said the only good Indian is a dead Indian? And that was actually done in 1867, so kind of late in American history that people were still talking about the only good Indian is a dead Indian, which is really sad. It was like the boarding schools. Um, the motto of the boarding schools was kill the Indian and save the man by putting the kids in boarding school and, and not letting them speak their languages. Or I have a couple legal books I brought with me. This, is, um, this one is highly recommended by a lot of people. It's American Indian Law in a Nutshell. And so it talks about the federal court cases that have really impacted California, um, California, or California Native Americans actually in the United States and their, their tribes. And this one is Documents of the United States Indian Policy, so another legal book. 
that has the acts and regulations and laws that have impacted tribes. Then I want to encourage everybody, uh, if you're in Washington, D.C., to visit the National Archives. They do have a guide to the records in the National Archives of the United States relating to American Indians, and it lists all of the microfilm. So if you're going, I would recommend trying to get a hold of, um, they actually have three different guides, getting a hold of a guide to help use your time more wisely while you're there at the archives. A lot of the records, the federal records pertaining to Native Americans are on microfilm. They have hundreds and hundreds of rolls of microfilm. I think it's a good idea for, we purchased the microfilm relating to California for the State Library within the last two years, but it's a really good resource. And actually, the equipment for using microfilm to digitize or print from microfilm has come down. You can get a really good setup. At they, it's a desktop PC for around ten dollars to $15,000. So it's, it's a good investment, and it really opens up um, a lot of resource materials, make them available for you. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good source. I know one of the things that the State Library bought were all the letters from the agents that were going back and forth. And it was interesting, we went back about three years ago to do research, and we wanted to go through historic documents and have copies made. One of the things we did when we were back there, the 18 unratified treaties, the original treaties, there's no copies in California. With one exception, <coughs> the courthouse in Fresno actually got a copy of one of the treaties and it was in their cornerstone and they tore it down and rebuilt it and one of the graduate students that was helping us with the California Indian Historical Resources Project read about it and he thought I wonder if I can find a copy and they actually have it in the archive at the Fresno Public Library in their California history section and it's the chief's copy I don't, I guess I really didn't have very many expectations when I went back to Washington, D.C., but just to gather as much as I could because there was, a, there was like a hole in the State Library collection. For a period of time, there was, uh, the, the powers that be weren't interested in con collecting Native, uh, California Native American history or books by California Native Americans. And so it was interesting to me, I was able to sit down and, and go through the actual paper copies of the agent's letters. And everything is, is, was hand-copied. And so you would be looking at these copies and you would have um, where sections of letters had been left out. So they would have to write it and then cut it and then they were pinned to the original letter. But we were able to get color transparencies of the, we got 12 treaties and we're gonna get the, the other six. So we have actual copies of the original treaties in California for people doing research and we would like to give copies back to the tribes. Speaking of Washington, D.C., um, the Handbook of North American Indians, and on my bibliography, which I guess I could give to people. Oh, hey, would you like to hand these out for me? <laughs> Thank you. Um, I just expanded this because they had, they had me give a short presentation on reference back in Oklahoma for the, the tribal conference. And so they still, I think, are working on this, but volume eight is the California volume. And the downside of this is that it's done by anthropologists, and a lot of the tribes um, try and stay away from the anthropology, the scientific 
evaluation of the Indians in the United States. But on the other side, it has a lot of cultural knowledge and a lot of historic facts that you, you won't find anyplace else. They, they really did get scholars, and there were Native Americans on the committees that worked on these. And my travels, um, some of the southern tribes that were removed from their homelands, the Tule River is one of them, and they said they're having to use resources like this to rebuild their cultural practices because they were removed from their, their original lands. And they're one of my favorite stories. She said they have summer camp for the kids every year, and they try and do cultural activities. And she said a few years ago, they made Thule houses. And she said they were really neat, and they all went to bed and got up in the morning, and the deer had come in, come in and they were eating their houses. <laughs> so I like that story. So they, these books have a purpose. I think these books are better than some of the history books that they have for kids, actually, that it's more... The information might be a little bit truer. One of the biggest complaints I hear as I travel is the history. A lot of the history books still say there used to be California Indians, mm -hmm. and they all say, "What do you mean? We're you know we've always been here. We're still here." And I think a little bit of it's starting to be corrected, but we still have a long ways to go. And another big argument too, when you're working with Native American communities, is they, they, in their histories, in their, um, their tribal histories, in their, their stories, they didn't walk across the Bering Strait. They're from here. And so that's something that if you're working with Native Americans and you're working with tribal libraries, you really need to, um, to honor their beliefs and their stories. And, and there's lots of different religions and cultural practices in the world, and a lot of them are better accepted than others. When I'm doing, um, one, some of the books on the reference list are from Oyate, and Oyate is a good resource to look for book reviews. They also review and sell books from other Native American entities in California. And they, they have two big books they've done reviews, and it's Through Indian Eyes and A Broken Flute. And they, they also have like short stories and poetry in here, but when you start, there's one section in here where it's the courage of Sarah Noble, and the mother is talking about her fourth grade daughter, and she said her daughter was really upset at school, and she, and she said what was happening in the book, it said that it talks about um, savages and how they're dirty. And she said, the kids, the kids are calling me savage and they don't want to play with me. And, and the mother said, you know, all I could do was hold her because it reminded me of the pain that I went through when I was a child. But it's still, they're still pretty universal books that have negative, uh, negative American stereotypes in them that are used in mainstream, mainstream schools. I know the Indian in the cupboard is universally disliked by Native Americans because the Indian speaks the broken dummy down language, it's like he's not resourceful. He, he's kind of like typical, uh, stereotypical Indian character. And when I was working on my, my reference um, for CLA, it, it's two years ago now, I wanted to find a copy of the original Little Black Sambo because it was a big deal in the 70s. They pulled all of the Little Black Sambos from the Sacramento Public Library shelves. 
And so I kind of got on the internet and was looking around at library catalogs, and the only place I could find an original Little Black Sambo was in their reference, their children's um, book reference collections. So you couldn't just go in and take it out, or you, just, you couldn't just go in and um, look at it. You, you would have to go in and ask the children's librarian to look at this book, and they have to take it out of a locked case, because the images in those books can be harmful to black children. And so that I wanted, I, it's still on my list to find because that's universally accepted now. And they said it's because of the illustrations in the book um, are really like these overblown caricatures of black people and that they're scary and that they're, they have a negative impact on black children. And so I, I like to use that as an example of the negative stereotypes that are still found in common Native American children's books. And I think part of, um, one thing that will help is more quality books by Native Americans. And I really encourage um, Crossing Book Cheeto, Tim Tingle. The Crossing Book Cheeto um, was a, initially, he wrote this and it was a short story in his um, Walking the Choctaw Road. And he collaborated with an artist and it's Cinco Puntos Press and turned it into a children's book. And I think he said when he was in Oklahoma in October that it's won 15 or 16 awards now. But I actually buy these. Um, I usually buy them six or eight at a time. If Tim is in the booth at a conference, he, I walk away with more because he, he always talks me into taking more. But I hand these out to Native Americans as I travel to encourage them to record their stories and publish them because that's going to be one way to get more positive Native American literature out there for children is that if we can get more authors interested. And Cinco Puntos is looking for authors, everybody. Um, the American Indian Library Association gave its first uh, children's book awards out. That's uh, pushed by the, the association they have the um, Loretta Scott King Awards for black literature, and they're hoping, their, their goal is to acknowledge three books every two years, that if we start to acknowledge um, good Native American literature, that it's like all this kind of grassroots effort to get better literature into the schools and libraries for our Native American youth. There's, I brought a couple more Oyate books to pass around. I really encourage everybody to go to Oyate's website and check out what they have. Um, I get requests all the time from librarians and school teachers asking, where can we find good materials? How can you tell the difference between good and bad? I brought a couple that um, Beverly Slape and Adora Seal did. One is How to Tell the Difference. And it talks about um, evaluating uh, children's books about or with Native American character, characters in it. I also brought Basic Skills, Caucasian Americans Workbook. It was kind of something they did on the fly that um, puts white people in the light that white people often put Native Americans in. There's true or false, all Caucasian American languages were the same. Some of the languages were strange. 
Graffiti was a popular way for writing Caucasian American languages. So they kind of took this thing and went off on a band and decided, you know, well, let's turn the coin here and let's treat white people like they treat us. Um, Thanksgiving, a native perspective. I have a great book. And often when I travel, I, I don't always come back with all my books. And it's by Chief Swamp, and it's called Giving Thanks. And I encourage everybody to have that book and have it available. And I, I tell public librarians when I speak to them, I know that they're going to have mainstream Thanksgiving books out for Thanksgiving because it's part of the mainstream culture. But just be aware and represent the Native American culture and find materials to put in that, that Thanksgiving display. So if they do come in your library, they'll feel welcome. Because they, they all know that people are going to celebrate Thanksgiving and they're going to do their mainstream Thanksgiving things. And a lot of them celebrate with a Thanksgiving dinner. But Chief Swamp's book called Giving Thanks talks about the Native American's perspective of giving thanks every day. It, it's a foreign concept to Native Americans to just give this thanks once a year and have this big dinner. And it's a great book, and unfortunately, I think I gave my copy to Jack Norton at a meeting a few months ago, and I didn't realize it was my last copy. So I have five on order, but I don't have them. But Oyate has created a book, um, Thanksgiving, A Native Perspective. And then here's the how to tell the difference. There's a couple other publishers I have on a resource list. I don't know. I don't think people got this one. I'll have you hand those out when you have a chance. Um, one of the publishers on there, and I, I brought the Kauia Indians, is Malkai. It's M-A-L-K-I. And I always said Malkai, I think. And the president of the Malkai Museum is Catherine Siva Sobel. And Los Coyotes is one of the tribes that is trying to, that the governor was granting Blue Lagoon in Humboldt County and Los Coyotes land. They, they were trying to let them build a casino in Barstow. And it's, it's been blocked. There's actually um, some tribes in Southern California that are blocking it because it's not their aboriginal land, that they're not from there. And the governor was doing Blue Lagoon in Humboldt County is very sensitive and it's right on the bay. It's just, it's very environmentally sensitive and so he was trying to give them a spot that would not impact the environment. And Los Coyotes is just in the middle of nowhere. It's up, up above Anza Borrego in the desert. But it's also actually bighorn sheep habitat, which is an endangered species. And so they were having, uh, they were over at the Capitol having a uh, vigil over there. They were funny, they, they were fasting, but they only fasted during the day they were eating at night. <laughs> so I guess that's the Indian way, I don't know. But I was corrected over there because Catherine Sieval, Siva Sobel is from the Los Coyotes Reservation. And when I said uh, Malkai, I was corrected to Malkai. But they have a great press and it, it, it when you have a chance, check it out. They have a lot of um, quality Native American books and materials on their website. And I brought the Kauia Indians, which is through Molkai. I also um, pick up a lot of books from eBay and Amazon and Abe Books. So sometimes if you 
kind of check out the internet, you can find uh, prices for good books. And you kind of, it's just something that you have to do for a while and you kind of get the hang of it. Um, Heyday Press in Berkeley, I also recommend. As I've traveled, I've had a little bit of negative feedback from uh, Malcolm Margolin, who's the person that founded Heyday, that he sometimes switches names in the books or he sometimes get, gets spellings wrong. But for the most part, he's a good California press and he's done a lot of really good Native American um, materials. I brought three of his items. I brought The Way We Live. He publishes the only um, Native magazine in California. It's called News from Native California. The State Library is actually working on a web page for California Native Americans. And we have purchased the rights to the whole run of Native News. I think it's, I don't know how long it's been in publication, but we're in the process of negotiating to have them all digitized so they will be available on the web. When the new issues come out, we have to wait six months. We'll digitize them, but we'll have to wait six months before they show up on the web page. But that's a great resource, and it has lots of California Native American authors. His newest book is called First Families, A Photographic History of California Indians. And they did, they, they did another book called Shades of California, which was the Latinos in California. And it's family photos. Um, they wanted something that shows Native Americans doing things like play, playing baseball, and playing basketball, but also showing some of their heritage. They have men in their <clears throat> uniforms. They have boats. But this is just out. And they did, there's a database of 1,400 photos. And I think there's almost 200 in the book. And eventually, we hope to have most of the photos available on the web page. So we're working on that. The other. Um, resource materials that I really, really like um, is Hoopa in Northern California. They have the only joint county tribal library on the reservation in the state. And they also have a county school, their Klamath Trinity School. And the director of the Indian Ed Education there, Sarah Sepahan, has done several books um, on California Native American history. This one is called A Time of Resistance, and it's the Indian viewpoint of what happened during the mission period. This is another one that I often um, don't have with me when I come home, so I buy them 10 at a time. And it is lesson plans, but it also has the stories in here about um, the, the Indians' viewpoint basically was the Indians were slave labor to build the missions. That, um, that, you know, like a lot of people were lost. I've been in conversations where the Indians were not allowed to be buried in the, the mission cemetery. They were buried outside of the mission. And a lot of the parking lots, I haven't visited any California missions yet. It's kind of on my list to do, but I have mixed feelings about it. I'll probably cross that bridge someday. But a lot of the Indian cemeteries have been paved over. And there was a push a couple years ago to start putting up monuments to recognize the contributions of the Native Americans and the lives that were lost. 
and a couple missions have bought into it, and they're kind of working on the rest of them. But this is a good book, and there's very high interest in the Native American community. I highly recommend that. And she's, at, um, she's on my little list that Corey just handed out for me. She also has points of view versus historical bias, so it's another good um, book on evaluating Native American histories and stories. She has a really good book on the Indians of Northwest California. And these materials are good for public libraries because I, I don't know how many of you have worked in public libraries, but I did. And fourth grade Indian reports were always awful because we never had enough materials. And I have a problem because somebody jumped on the bandwagon and there's this whole series. They have one for every tribe they could identify in California. And it's a little paperback book for fourth graders. And it has something like 96 or 97 pages because all fourth graders, when they do their report, they have to have at least 96 pages in their book. So this publisher evidently did their research and they know that. But the books, there's one for every tribe in California, but three quarters of the, every book is the same. And then there's 20 or 25 pages on that specific tribe. And in speaking with California Native Americans as I've traveled in the state, the illustrations are not always true to the tribe. So they haven't done their, their research there. One of the things I get from Sarah, they do a, re, um, they have a contest every year for the kids at school. And it's what my, um, they have an art contest and then what my elders taught me. And they do note cards. When I first started working with California Native Americans, um, trying to find just note cards to write thank yous. And I found these, so I always buy four or five packages a year. <laughs> I think one of my favorite ones is, it's a little boy that's about second or third grade. And he said, my grandpa taught me how to build good forts. <laughs> so, and then she did this one too, which I really, really like. And I actually saw it at the Clark Museum in Eureka. And I asked them, where did you get that? I want to get one. And it's why coyote has the best eyes. And basically, coyote tricks the fish. The fish has the best eyes, but coyote tricks the fish out of his eyes. And they didn't, there, there's no copyright on it. And we traveled up to Hoopa to meet with Sarah. And I saw it in her education office, so I was able to get a few of them. And I would actually like to, they have some really nice watercolor photos in it. So I'd really kind of like to take the book apart and frame them and <laughs> hang them in my hallway, I think, someday. And I think that's it for the materials I brought. Um, I do have a couple of publications that are available through the American Indian Library Association. They compiled and published the papers from the International Indigenous Libraries Forum Number 3 in 2003. So it's all articles on services to tribal libraries and then also library services to indigenous populations, viewpoints and resources are two of the American Indian Library Association publications I brought with me. I'm working currently on a committee that the American Library Association put together. Lotsey Patterson was on the forefront of services to tribal libraries. She's from Oklahoma 
but at the time she was in New Mexico, I believe it was the 1970s, and she worked with somebody there to really fight for tribal libraries, rights, and services. And they were actually able to get funding in New Mexico for a full-time library program consultant and a half-time technician. But she wrote a tribal library's procedures manual in 1987 and updated it in 1992. The American Library Association is working toward developing a website for resources for tribal libraries. And one of the things we've taken on is updating that original 1987 um, manual. And so I brought copies for this. And the people that are here, there is a feedback form for people if they want to submit feedback. The draft copy, American Library Association hasn't decided if they want to make the draft available online. But if anybody contacts me, Susan Hanks at the State Library, I think I'm pretty easy to find. Or if you can contact Heather, do they have your contact? Heather knows how to get a hold of me. I can get copies to you. I was really curious to get this to the library students. In fact, I might leave copies with Heather for people if there's interest um, to get feedback because I thought the, the School of Library Science would be a good place to hand them out, to have people look and give, give comment. I have one more item to share, and I don't have it on my list. But if you go to the National Archives, have any of you gone and done research? When you go into the desk where you sign in to go into the back, to the left of that door, there's a little stand where you can sign up for free copies of finding aids. And they do have a two-volume as records of the Bureau of Indian Affairs, um, the preliminary, preliminary inventories, and it's free. And I had seen this about five years ago, and I've actually found them on sale on eBay for like 20 and 30 bucks. And what I, was, I was back there doing research, and I asked, and they said, oh, yeah, that's a free publication. You can just sign up for it, and then they'll mail it to you. So I, actually, every time I go back, I sign up for one, because I've put them in my library, and I've handed, it out, handed them out to people that are doing research. And is that on the It is not, but I will hand them out. Okay. But I really encourage people, if they're going to the National Archives, to, to get them. And it's just another list of all the Native American resources that they have back at the National Archives. And I don't know, at the State Library, I, when I was working, I, I started working in the Research Bureau with the California tribes and gathering information for the website and trying to start to build that bridge. It was very interesting because it took almost a year before we started to get a level of trust with the California tribes. And I'll always remember that because a lot of times we would call seven, eight, or nine times before we could get an appointment with somebody. And we were traveling in the north part of the state and we had this big meeting and there was this one tribe that we just, we couldn't connect with. And we went and we had our meeting and we went back to the tribal office and we dropped off our materials and about 20 minutes later they called and they said, can we meet with you? You know, are you going to be up here for tomorrow or the rest of the week and we said no you know we're already, we're already headed back south you know we're we're down the highway and after that point i th i think that by word of mouth um, because we are a government agency but we are the library that the word started to get out that we were really out there trying to help and and um, try and get the tribal libraries established 
I had been on the layoff list in 2003 and had found a job with Cal EPA. It took a little while to negotiate the salary. And by the time the, the lead scientist that I was working with was able to find something that was good for me and good for his human resources department, they froze the position. And so they tried to pick me up in 2004, but I was concerned that if I left the state library that that level of trust would be broken and it, they wouldn't be able to bring somebody in to just pick up where I was leaving off because I've been working with the tribes for about two and a half or three years. And so at that point, the state librarian, Susan Hildreth, and the person in charge of library development services decided that they wanted to move me upstairs to library development services. And so that's where I've been for two years, and I work with tribal libraries part-time. I guess I could have introduced myself in the beginning with this information. <laughs> and I work with rural libraries and preservation. And it's all, it all kind of in, intermingles nicely. Most of the California tribes are in rural, rural areas and remote areas in California, so they have neighbors that are rural public libraries. The preservation, um, California Preservation Program, if you're not familiar with it, please Google it and check it out. They help libraries and cultural institutions, so museums, archives, develop emergency preparedness plans. They also hold meetings throughout the state with the governor's office of emergency services on bringing emergency responders and the directors of cultural institutions together. Next year, Julie Page, um, she's one of the co-coordinators, and I want to try and work together to bring more tribes in to develop emergency preparedness plans and get their, the, the responders in to see. Because I've, I've been in meetings with firefighters before that said that the local archive had invited them and taken them on tours of the facility, and they said after having seen the facility, they would respond to an emergency there different than if they were just going in to, to break down the walls and spray water everywhere. So I think that's all I have. If anybody has any questions, I would be happy to answer them to the best of my ability. It's a mess. And basically, way back when, when the United States started putting the Indians onto reservations, they said, we'll manage your money because you're not smart enough. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't, they replaced the judge about a year ago. The, the, the judge that was there was saying, you know, shame on you to the United States. You need to get this together and you need to give the Indians back their money. And they, they replaced the judge about a year ago and it's been very quiet. But because of that lawsuit, they've basically shut down the Bureau of Indian Affairs website. So, yeah, oh yeah, there are lots of, lots of lost records, lots of purging going on, or rumors of purging going on, but I don't see any immediate resolution for that. I think that it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while to sort out and have the opposing people come together and finally figure it out. So the, the whole history of state and federal Indian law is, is really sad. It's, uh, they've really done a lot of things to try and get Indians off rolls so they didn't have to support them. And, and I guess on the upside of that, the tribes and the Native Americans that I've met and worked with are wonderful. And it's always just like, they, I mean, they're just 
they're an awesome people. And it, it's funny to me, I was in a workshop at the National Indian Justice Center. They have an annual conference called All Our Relations. And we went to this workshop and we ended up, it was really sad because they had this uh, marine world was one day and then the zoo was the next day. And so they had this youth track. Well, the only four kids that were there were the kids that couldn't afford to go on the field trip. And so I was in there with the researcher and then there was um, one of the archivists from, it's the National Archives in Southern California. And then there was um, the Native American professor, Patty Dixon from the San Diego Community College. Palma. Palma? Yeah. And um, we ended up, they wanted us to go around the room and kind of give our history. And the Jewish woman was talking about, you know, how her parents, you know, like some of her family didn't make it out when the Germans were, some of them went to the death camp. And so she was talking about that and how the impact it's had on her and her family. And I was talking about um, my family experiences and we don't really know what happened to my great grandfather and, and how it's with us and most of the white population, how we were not where our ancestors were from. And the concept of being on that land where your, your people have always been. And so it kind of turned into this. She said it, it had really taken a different route, but with the Native Americans and how they've been here and they haven't moved around and it's, it's their land and they recognize the importance of taking care of it. and. They have that saying, passing it, you know, going to the seventh generation to think about what actions you take today that what impact will that have going seven generations out. So, and I'm really excited because we have more tribal libraries forming. I was up in Bernie Falls yesterday and we have a new tribal librarian up there and she's all gung-ho and she's going to put in for the IMLS grant. They have some awesome documents, she said. They put in a new health center a couple years ago and they were cleaning out the trailer where their cultural center had been and they had these histories from I think the 70s where they had taken accounts from elders and somebody had put them in the dumpster and she got them back out and so I'm hoping to get help for her so she can process those papers and she she was she said well I want to make sure they don't walk away so I want to like have chains on the binder so people pick them up to look at them. They can't walk out with them because I don't want to lose them. And so I told her, well, what you need to do is get some archival materials so you can save the originals and then make a copy and put the copy on the shelf. So if you lose something, it's just a copy and you make another one. And she goes, that's a good idea. <laughs> so I'm really excited. And I think we have about three, this year we have about two or three new tribal libraries that are applying for the IMLS basic grants, if you know federally recognized tribes and that are looking to support libraries or start libraries. The Institute of Museum and Library Science, which is IMLS, is a great resource. Allison Fries, I can't say enough about her. She was the program consultant in New Mexico for four or five years and she's a wonderful resource for Native American tribal libraries or people that really want to work with them. She's connected uh, across the United States with tribal libraries and people that work with them, so she's a really good resource. The 
New Mexico has the best program in the United States. And they had a Native American senator that stood on the Senate floor a few years back and said, give me libraries or give me death. And, and that's where they got the appropriation for a full-time library program consultant to work with tribal libraries. And they actually have a separate funding stream for just for tribal libraries for small grants. And they, they changed the law to include developing libraries, which there's, there's federal money called LSTA, as Library Services and Technology Act funds from the federal government, that go through each state library to help fund library projects within the state. But you have to meet the criteria of a public library. Arizona just hired a full-time library program consultant to work with tribal libraries in Arizona. In California, you can contact me at the State Library, again, at Susan Hanks. We've done some training. The budget doesn't look very good for the next couple years, but we do want to continue to try and do at least one tribal library training a year. The next um, Tribal Library Museum and Archives Conference is going to be 2009 in Portland, Oregon, so everybody needs to make a note of that, or at least keep it on their radar. They limit the um, registrations to 550, and they don't go over that. It's the Tribal Library Museum and Archives Conference, and I can send you the information. It's also good, the American Indian Library Association has been around for a while, and they're a really good resource. I, it, it's cheap, too. If you're a student, it's $15, and I think regular membership is $40 a year. And compared to American Library Association, which is, I don't know, I think it, it's, well, I think it's over 100. American Library Association is expensive, and so is the California Library. Well, the California Library Association is a good source. You can join as a support staff for $40, and they have a um, Native Library Roundtable, and it, it lets you resource and network. Are, are you a member of the... You're, you came to CLA to the Roundtable, right? No. The California Natives Library Roundtable has only, I think we're going into our third year now, so it's pretty new. We have a great chair this year. Her name's Betty Mason. She's the former librarian at DQ University up by Davis, and I think that she'll do good things this year. This year in um, Long Beach for the conference, we didn't have a good representation. Last the year before, we had a lot of people at the round table, but they were having the big fires. And so I know a lot of people were, I mean, houses were burned down um, and people were evacuated, and so we didn't have a very good showing, but it is growing. And so either one of those associations, I would recommend um, for support that you contact your, contact your state library. I would, that's a good place to start. I have tribal libraries in California that partner with local university libraries. They, lo they partner with local county libraries. So just, I think the hardest part is getting started. And once you get started and start to make contacts, um, there's also you, a program called Info People in California that does training for public libraries. And they keep all of their training materials and they do webcasts. They're all available through the Info People website, so you can go and you can get information about cataloging or programming or financial resources through the Info People. 
but I would be more than happy and you don't have to be from California to contact me. Um, I get I got an email from somebody in Illinois a few weeks ago. It was a public librarian looking for resources for Native American books for their library. And so I sent him a couple of bibliographies and said I'd be happy to help, but you really need to check with your local university or your local state library because if you're in Illinois, you're going you're, you're going to want to have books on local Illinois Native American history. I recommend, there's going to be people, it depends on, on what type of library you're going to work in, obviously. If you're going to work in a tribal library, if you're going to work in a public library. I think, it's, I think that every public li library should try and uh, locate what, if, if there are any Native Americans in their local community, any tribes, and try and contact them. I've been working with, I, I met with Calusa. Uh, Rancheria and Calusa County Library on my way up to Bernie Falls and I'm going to set up a meeting because the county librarian there is kind of hard for librarians sometimes because the rural librarians are almost on an even scale with tribal librarians as far as the different tasks that they're trying to they're all responsible for many jobs besides being the librarian there at the branch and sometimes it's hard if you're trying to locate or contact a tribal library to set up a meeting or get back, get, get, have somebody get back to you. I think one piece of advice is don't give up. And I think when you first start, you have to build a trust level there. And so if you're just starting out and you're trying to make these cold turkey calls like we did, um, I think until you start to meet with people and they know who you are and that you have something to offer. I think it's very important to listen, you know, to, to have a collaborative discussion with them on the best ways that you can help them. Uh, I, I'm going to do my first tribal library community assessments and working with tribal libraries to, because a lot of them don't have the infrastructure, so it's great, the library students, um, to help them do community assessments and kind of network and get ideas to help them promote their library and promote the government recognition and support for the tribal libraries. One of the, the one of the tribes I heard, uh, I think I reviewed a grant for them, but one of the things that they did that I thought was really awesome is they have a tribal library table at each council meeting. And they happen to issue cards, but they bring their laptop computer and they issue cards right there at the council meeting and they give every council meeting they give a library report because I think it's important to remind them too to support their tribal government I mean that's what the the rural public libraries we work very closely with the local government and what services can we help because if you're support, if you're supporting the tribal council then you have that recognition well, we were at Torres Martinez we came back from the last tribal library training and they were having their summer kickoff and she had the tribal chair come to the summer kickoff and she had us there from the state library. She had one of the, the local councilmen who was one of their tutors for their after school. She had local university professors and we all came and gave presentations and the, the tribal chair was shaking, shaking his head and going, I had no idea, I had no idea and said, you need a new furniture? How much, you know, how much money do you need? So to involve the tribal council and the elders as much as you can in the tribal library programs 
and look for um, to network. And one thing that's great about librarians, and, and I was very impressed when I was in graduate school, that I could call, I called UC Davis, the health library, because I was working on a project, and the director and the head of reference sat down with me for an hour. The professional librarians are pretty free with their time to help um, other librarians or students, so take advantage of that. It's really an awesome profession to be in.